do lift your name high. We lift your name high, Lord, over this nation, over this region, over this land. We lift your name higher than any other, Lord. We thank you, God, that when we were far off, in Christ Jesus, we who were far away were brought near by the blood of Christ. And God, I just speak to all those in our nation who are far off from you. I thank you, Jesus, that your blood is enough, that your blood has already won, that you have already paid the price, so we speak to those who are far from you and we say, be brought near by the blood of Christ. We speak to every heart that is broken. We speak to every soul in captivity. We say, be brought near by the blood of Christ, by his sacrifice that is more than enough. And we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that while we were so far off, while we were still sinners, you died for us. While we had our backs turned to you, while we had no interest in you, Jesus, you shed your blood that we who were far off might be brought near to you and made whole in you. There's no greater gift of a better way to spend a Sunday morning, especially uh, with a little less sleep last night. That is invigorating, isn't it? <laughs> to just be in the presence of Jesus is so good. We are so glad to have you here this morning. I'm Kim. If I haven't gotten the chance to meet you, I hope I do, but uh, we're very glad that you're here today. I just have one quick announcement. Um, Raise your hand if you have been able to come to any of the Wednesday prayer times that we've been having during Lent. Yeah, it, that's awesome. So many people. It has been amazing, has it not? This morning's reading is from Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 41. Then he went down to Capernaum, down in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demons threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. How are we doing? I was expecting like a little bit more enthusiasm for you guys. <clears throat> I could let it slide for the 9amers who it felt like it was 8am. They were a bit like, yeah, we're okay. You guys like have had more time, even though it only feels like 10. I can also let you off because I feel a bit disheveled and a bit unhinged after, I don't know, the last hour or so. I, um, I took my dog for, for a walk the other day and parked outside Washington Church and I went up on the downs, forgot that it was healing center. When I came back, I kind of saw a bunch of people like stumbling out of the church. It's like a scene out of Acts chapter 2 as if they were drunk. I had to remind myself that it was only like 11 in the morning. And um, then one of them kind of recognized me amidst my like, running disguise, introduced me to their, um, their family, and they, they were just telling me just essentially that, just how disheveled, unhinged, uh, shaken up they were by their experience. Not because it was, di- well, I was going to say not because it was disturbing, but yes, because it was disturbing to their sense of reality because they encountered God in such a real and tangible way. And then we get to do it again on Sunday morning. But one of them, she's, I was trying to be as anonymous as possible. They, they were just describing how someone had prayed and just like proclaimed joy in them. They were describing, God, I've never experienced something just being forced into me with such force and vigor, she said. She recognized that he, they, they recognized. <laughs> narrowed it down to 51% of the population. They recognized that it wasn't something just like being conjured up from within them, but it was something external. It was something acting upon them. And, and that's God. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. That's the power of God in encountering us. Too frequently we turn up to church and we're just like, oh, let's, let's just have a nice, pleasant service. All my, um, my various placements... Like, I think it's, it's, like, it's painful in hindsight. When like, you do any sort of like, act of worship, someone comes out and they're just like, oh, that was a lovely service. That was really nice. It's like, that's not our hope and our desire. I hope that none of you leave here today being like, that was pleasant and nice. I think the honest response is like, that was a little bit unsettling. Being touched by some otherworldly power and authority that is acting upon me. 
as abstract as it is, that is good news. Unfortunately, it's not normal, but why not? Why can't it be normal? I've seen churches who, I don't mean to like throw shade or just be negative, they just remind them in the worship. One of like their, their like mission statements is to, is to transform stereotypes of what church is. As if like we can really do that in and of ourselves. I was wondering, I was like, why, why would I waste so much time trying to change people's stereotypes of church? God will do that all by himself. <laughs> you just put him in the place. You just, God is this caged lion. As long as we just let him out of the cage, he will do what he does. <clears throat> I did not plan any of this, so we'll just... <laughs> I think the point is, and I think <laughs> we'll bring it back in, is this, that the, the truth of, of the gospel is so much bigger, better, it is so much more widespread in its implications than we originally think. Just as like, that song arose from within, within us, like amongst us, just how beautiful, how glorious this God we worship is, like it is he's far more glorious, far more beautiful than we can perceive. Let me pray. God, be with us in ever-increasing measure. Just as Paul prayed to the Ephesians, would you open the eyes of our heart, enlighten us, that we may gaze upon your glory, may it shine upon us. We may be reminded of the hope that we have in you. We may perceive the the riches of the inheritance we have in you. And we may just glimpse at the incomparably great power that resides in you. So speak to us now. Amen. One more summary. Patrick will often just pray, help. Yeah, we're journeying through Luke as maybe a, a, a brief summary. There's kind of like three major things that happen in this passage that Kate read to us. It's the, it's the first time Jesus performs an exorcism. It's the first time Jesus kind of performs a physical healing. And then uh, once the floodgates are open, he just keeps going and they just keep bringing more and more people to him. But it's worth noting, although he kind of addresses like demon possession and just physical illness, like both are, they are distinct. I think sometimes, yeah, like our illness is really like some sort of demonic attack on us. Other times it is just illness. But I would say I think what, what the biblical narrative points to is, is both are like oppressions by some ungodly force and both are in need of a release. Both are, as a result of them, both result in people being in need of freedom. You need a release from that. Ultimately into what people might describe as like the harmony of God's created order. You might say this is not God's plan for people to be sick or demon possessed. It's not in line 
with the created order. It always begs the question, like, what does this passage reveal to us? What does this passage say about our faith? And I'm constantly trying to like, fight this temptation to, to like, hold back these like, tricks and then just suddenly as being some big performance, like unleash them. But rather, it's quite simple. The God who we gather around, the God we worship, who is revealed in Jesus, is a God who sets people free. Is a God who, who brings release for those who are captive, those who are oppressed. This is why it is good news to the poor, both in spirit, good news to the poor in health, good news to the poor physically. Because this is a God who sets people free, releases the captives, releases the oppressed. Because Jesus, as his ministry unfolds throughout the Gospels, is a proclamation that God is taking his place as the king. God is doing it in a new way. A new way that's often unexpected. I was talking about it last week, actually. The way in which God takes his place as the king in a new way that's so unexpected often even causes offense. Or it rather just ends up with people ignoring it or misinterpreting it. It's easy to kind of read the, the narrative in Capernaum as like an opposite to the narrative in Nazareth where the Nazarenes were like, led him up to a hill and they wanted to kill him. But rather, the Capernaums, they were like so hospitable to him and they welcomed him. They took all their sick to him. They were amazed. They like recognized his teaching had authority. They brought people to him to be healed. They begged him not to leave, but I'd still say they didn't quite get it. They didn't get, quite get the truth of it. They didn't get the fact that, that Jesus wasn't just coming to perform miracles, but rather Jesus was coming as the king. Does that make sense? He wasn't just coming like as a figurehead. Rather, he was coming like as a king of a new kingdom, one who would, who would lead people, protect people, guide them in the ways. But they didn't realize he was the Messiah. And what we find in this passage is that only the demons, only the, the evil spirits are the ones that recognize who Jesus is. It's only them who recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. You might say that the tragedy that, that is unfolded in this narrative is that the people of Capernaum, they, they didn't want Jesus for who he was, but rather they just wanted Jesus for what he could do for them. Even to the point, we'll hear about this next week. You get in verse 42, how they like, they begged him not to leave. I don't, the narrative doesn't really give us enough to say they, they begged him not to leave because they didn't want the, the savior of the world. They didn't want the Messiah. They didn't want the king of a new kingdom to leave. They just didn't want the person who like brought these magic tricks and healed them not to leave. But Jesus didn't come just to be a mere wonder worker. The good news of of Jesus Christ isn't that Jesus heals the sick. Isn't it just that Jesus does miracles? It is so much more than that. The good news, the, the gospel message is the truth of who Jesus is. That he is the king. He is the one who is worthy and it's appropriate for us to, to pledge our allegiance to. He is the one who is worthy and appropriate to put our trust in him and make him the, the foundation of our life. And it's easy just to like be so critical 
of these people of Capernaum. They did get like quite a few other things, right? They, like, they recognized the, the authority that Jesus taught with. They recognized the authority he spoke with, the authority in which he exercised as he released the, the demon-possessed, as he healed people. Because Jesus, he, he speaks with authority. But it's not just an authority that he has, but rather it's an authority that he is. His authority is not something he has, but rather something he is. It's not something that he has earned or received or like conjured up and practiced through years of discipline, which often is like probably the way that we appropriately build our own authority. But rather, Jesus speaks with authority because he is the authority. That's what it means that Jesus is the king. So it's not just he, he was really learned in the scriptures, but rather we see the one who is the author of the scriptures. And this next statement is ironic because of what I'm doing. But when Jesus would teach, he taught as the creator of truth, not merely the curator of truth. As much as I'm making that like a dichotomy, I am also a curator of truth, not in Jesus' vein. But it's this, as Jesus, he is the one who who is authority, who speaks with authority. It reminds us that, that in many ways, as blunt as this sounds, Jesus is the king and not us. And that's actually good news to us. That in and of itself is a relief. It releases us from the oppression and the burden that we have to figure it all out, that we have to do it all by ourselves. Because when Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority because there's weight behind it. When Jesus speaks, it has an effect. It's not just like eloquent words that, that tickle our egos or give us a warm and fuzzy feeling inside. No, like he, when he speaks, there's authority because there's a weight behind it. And what we find is, yeah, Jesus reveals himself and he says, you know what, I'm the rock. Scripture points to the fact that, that Jesus is the one who is worthy of being the foundation on which we build our lives. He says, yeah, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, you're wise if you, if you put all my words into practice. Because Jesus, he is so many things. But he is the anchor. He is the one who can bear the weight of all our ultimate hopes and dreams. Jesus is the one who actually can deliver on all the promises And I was going to say, I love it. I'm not sure I love it. It's more like deeply painful. When Jesus, he's telling stories and he's like, he, he contrasts him and the perfect love of, of God the Father with us as, as earthly fathers. And he's like, you, even though you love your children and want to do good things for them, yet you still fail. But Jesus is the one who delivers on all the promises. Because Jesus, he speaks with authority. And when he does that, things change. Things change when, when Jesus speaks. He doesn't have to wrestle this demon-possessed man who 
is also in the synagogue as well. Maybe that says something about like <laughs> the state of worship at the time that needed some sort of reform. They just let any old thing go on in the middle of their worship. He speaks with authority and things change. He doesn't like lead this man through like a 12-week course to like talk about ideas in which everyone's right. He just speaks to him with authority. Be quiet. Come out of him. This detail often like passed by me. This demon was so like set on causing harm to this man that he knew like his end was coming. And he was like, right, I'm just going to get one last blow in. I'll throw him to the ground. But actually, because of the authority of Jesus, he stopped the man from even being harmed. Okay? Just little details, but again, it just points to the fact that this is the authority. This is what it means for Jesus to be king, which he rules and reigns. And yeah, we also get it. The sick are healed. Things change. Again, I said, like, there is a distinction between, like, demon oppression like evil spirits and then just being sick but it's interesting the way in which Luke paints the the story of Simon's mother-in-law because it's very much portrayed as a deliverance how Jesus kind of comes and stands over her and he rebukes the fever I'm never sure whether this is like prescriptive or descriptive I think maybe we get the freedom sure rebuke illness but also just like Pray for the physical symptoms. <laughs> Things change when Jesus speaks. I told you earlier about this person that came out of healing center just entirely disheveled and unhinged because it's like the word and authority of Jesus that, that speaks into their entire being and that transforms things. When Jesus speaks with this authority, it establishes an entirely new reality, a new way of living. I love this phrase I picked up somewhere, but I, the Gospels, they, they re-narrate human existence for us. This is what the authority of, of Jesus speaking is. It re-narrates everything. And so actually, because of Jesus, it's not just warm, fuzzy feelings inside. It's not just emotivism on a Sunday morning. It's not just like this spiritual adrenaline rush. Rather, like what we find in the authority of Jesus is truth amidst confusion. We find hope amidst despair. We find life amidst death. That's what we find. We, in, this, in this passage, there's someone who is oppressed, who isn't living in freedom. We find someone like on the edge of death based on a fever, and when Jesus speaks, things change and a new reality comes into being. I don't think we, sometimes I wonder, like you guys be like preaching to the converted, this idea that God still speaks today. Like we recognize that, we see all these things still happening today. Yeah, Jesus comes as the king, as the one worthy of us laying down our lives in allegiance to him because he has authority. He has authority to change things. He has authority to bring about new reality. I think this passage also reveals 
the characteristics of what it looks like for this new reality, this new kingdom to come. And he reveals the nature of the kingdom. People would say, like, within the Luke's gospel, kind of the, the core, uh, like, moment in Jesus' ministry is when he stands up in the temple in Nazareth. And he, com- he like, combines this, this prophecy from Isaiah 58 and 61 together. And it highlights, amidst many things, kind of the, this biblical motif of justice which he says actually God is, God is working for those who are at disadvantaged and vulnerable. This is who he came to save. And I said last week, it's probably, it would be offensive to the Nazarenes because those who thought like, we're not those people, we've got it all together. He pointed them and said, you are the, the poor, you are the oppressed, you are the ones who need release and set free. But when we wonder, like, gosh, I, I read this, and these are lovely words. They're powerful. They, like, rouse something within me. But what does this actually look like? I would say, like, from, from this passage and, and in the subsequent chapters, Luke is displaying, not through Jesus' words, but rather through his actions. So, gosh, I can show you better than I can tell you what it would look like for me as the king to come and reign in a new kingdom. And he answers those questions of gosh, like why is it why is it good news to the poor? What will it look like for you, Jesus, as as the Messiah, to bring about release to the captives? And within this narrative, I think both of these accounts are both the exorcism and the healing of Simon's mother-in-law. They make statements. They make statements of, of what the king offers to those who are willing to become citizens in his kingdom. Does that make sense? He says those who are disadvantaged, those who are subject to injustice, that like you will be cared for. Those of you who are oppressed beyond your power, those of you who are oppressed just by physical illness which is outside of my own capabilities. Like it doesn't matter how much vitamin C tablets or like, I don't know, how much like iron or nutrients I get, how much sleep I get, I can't shift this. Those who are oppressed by things beyond their power. Maybe it is actually, you know what? There are spiritual powers and forces at work. And actually they're things that I can't shift by myself. But Jesus, because he is the king with all authority, he can those who are oppressed beyond your power, you will be defended. You will be set free. Those who can't afford the debt that they have incurred, who are prisoners, it will be paid for. These are, are the characteristics of the kingdom and they reveal the nature of the king because he is the one who, who cares for the disadvantaged. He's the one who, who defends and sets free those who are oppressed. And he is the one who pays the debt that debtors can't. But also it reveals the fact that Jesus comes and fights the real enemies at work. It's the spiritual forces that are often behind our circumstance. And I would almost want to make like a disclaimer of saying not everything 
is spiritual. Like if everything was spiritual, there would be like no need for any of our discipline to like seek after purity, holiness, live a godly life. But I think also there is so much that is spiritual. So he's saying the enemy, like in this, in this context, when we read the Bible, the enemy isn't just Rome and Caesar and these physical oppressors. For us, like the enemy isn't the cost of living. The enemy wasn't COVID in and of itself. The enemy isn't confusion over our identity or like the identity of our kids in school. The, end of, the enemy isn't like individualism or so many other things. The enemy is sickness and sin. The enemy is death. The enemy is the demonic, all that kind of fuels these fires and that latches onto them. But the good news is that Jesus comes and fights the true enemies for us. And what we find here is, is this demon-possessed, no, I was going to say this demon-possessed man, this demon who possessed the man, there's nothing he could do to resist the power and the authority of Jesus. All Jesus had to say was just be quiet, come out of him. Six words. That's like double check that. <laughs> this reveals the nature of the king. That in every realm where evil reigns, there is a more powerful authority that comes to intervene and set people free. That's why we can sing with such like vigor and gusto that like the bowels of hell begin to shake. Because Jesus is the one who is at work. He is the one who has defeated all these enemies. In this narrative, 2,000 years ago, we see just the beginning of him revealing, like, this is, the, this is the true enemy that I came to defeat. This is why afterwards, Paul would write to the Corinthians and say, like, this was foolishness. Like, all this good news of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, it was foolishness to the Greeks. It was a stumbling block for the Jews because it wasn't what they expected because it created so much more. And he goes on, and actually, what you once thought was foolishness has now been revealed as true wisdom. This is the nature of the kingdom. This is the nature of the king. So what does the kingdom and its king offer to those who are willing to become citizens? It offers you a, a king to pledge your allegiance to who is mightier, who is stronger, who is more glorious and more beautiful who is wiser and it offers you a release it offers you a release St. Augustine would famously say this quote in which he kind of proclaimed that we were made for God but he kind of diagnosed our, our angst that we continually experience he said like our hearts are restless until they find their home in you isn't that true for all of us? All the restless, the restlessness we find. Some people translate it as like the, the not-at-homeness. You you'd feel displaced. Do you still feel that when you're like in, the, in the midst of worship and you are gazing upon the beauty of God and His glory is shining over you? Like, do you feel it then? I would suggest no. 
Like all our restlessness disappears because we find our true home in him. When we get to enter into the kingdom, with Jesus as the king, that's what we find, just true peace that satisfies all our longings. But not just satisfies it so we forget about our issues, it actually also deals with all the issues as well. Because he is the one fighting our battles. Rather than rambling on, we're going to talk less, seek God more. Shall we stand? We're going to pray. We're going to receive communion together in a minute as well. To God, we thank you for being who you are. You are the God who, who sets people free. You continue to show it to us. You released the captives. You, you brought your people out of, of Egypt. It was you that delivered them into the promised land. And as you came as in the person of Jesus, what started through the Exodus narrative, you complete more sufficiently and fully in all the ways that we are, are captive and oppressed, in all the ways that we are poor and imprisoned. God, just release, release us now. All morning, we start having this sight. We have, like, shackled at the wrist. Jesus is saying, just put them out in front of you, and it's by my authority, by my sword, that I strike those chains. Not only do they break, but they disappear. So whatever that looks like for you now, just in your mind's eye. You know what? Maybe, maybe your oppression are just these heavy shackles and chains. Maybe they are like twine, thin string, but they are oppressive and holding you captive nonetheless. For Jesus, bring your freedom by your power. as you have already proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. May we taste and see the fruits of that here and now. As we praise you that you are still at work, you are, you are fighting those enemies that still remain. Most of all, God, we praise you that you have defeated the enemy once and for all.